Hello everybody, uh, my name's Matt Johnson. I work here at DTCC as a product manager in our institutional trade processing group, part of the larger DTCC solutions organisations. Uh, we've decided to kick off a series of podcasts with some of our key clients from different uh, post-trade sectors to discuss CSDR, um, more in particular, the upcoming settlement discipline regime and understanding how some of our clients are gearing up for that and also to get their opinion and advice as to what they're doing from a firm perspective perspective and what they expect to see going forward and what they're doing with DTC in partnership as well as how they're going to be helping their clients. Today I'm happy to be joined by Derek Cole, Vice President from Brown Brothers Harriman Custody Division. Uh, Derek, did you want to say a quick hello? Absolutely, thanks much. As you referenced, I'm working in custody product function and with the responsibility for our European locations and with uh, such regulations as CSDR upcoming, big European focus, but not only. I have been diving deep into these and investigating where we need to be ready as a result. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for joining today. And I guess I'll just kick off with what probably was the worst kept secret in Europe, mm -hmm. which I think is now official or as official as we can say at the moment, Indeed. is the delay to the discipline regime. Mm -hmm. So it's newly announced. Do you think it's going to be welcomed by the market? And why would that be? In a general sense, of course. I mean, any delay that gives you time for more operational readiness will naturally be welcomed. I suppose I would take the view that we've always thought that a delay could be possible, knowing that certain elements needed to be perhaps accounted for in the legislation and, and from the industry perspective, looking at where we need to be for operational readiness, we figured that some more time would absolutely be welcome. From our BBH perspective, I think we've said we always were looking at readiness towards the end of this year. Now, maybe that just means at the moment it gives us more time for, let's say, contingency for our project plans. Maybe it gives us better time to do some testing of maybe, let's say, operational readiness, messaging, interaction with our clients and how we're going to support them there. So I think, indeed, while we do welcome it, it probably just gives us a little bit more leeway in terms of preparation and uh, what we need to be looking at in advance, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's probably a, a sentiment that's going to be uh, agreed with by most market participants. So from a pure custodian perspective, obviously you guys are going to be on the hook for a few things that maybe you haven't been on the hook for before. Um, so what, what do you think some of the impacts will be to the custodian service? One you've actually been maybe thinking of there, I suppose, is actually we've already put in place internalized settlement reporting and, and that applies to custodians primarily and the internalized piece and correct me if i'm wrong but mm -hmm. that's the piece where the trade doesn't settle at csd exactly okay. and, and we're almost acting as a, a csd in that sense because we're settling it on behalf okay. um, we've had to put that reporting in place already actually as of last year uh, depending on jurisdiction and, and entity and because we have a, a Luxembourg location we're reporting to the CSSF as the regulator in Luxembourg and giving them that reporting. So that's one element already put in place. Beyond that of course then we believe that our um, process in terms of operations and our clients as a result will be impacted when it comes to settlement discipline regime you've, you've referenced already in particular being ready for handling cash penalties and potential mandatory buy-ins. We'd like to think that enough preventative measures can be put in place in, a, in advance so that you avoid some of these, but I suppose we'll always expect that there will be some outcomes that will result in penalties because of trade failures or, or the buy-ins that can follow a few days later as well. Yeah. And so I guess from a, from a pure process point of view, um, I mean, what challenges or changes will the discipline regime bring to the settlement process as we see it today? 
the aim, of course, is to look at tightening those up as much as possible with probably improvement in communication, messaging, settlement instructions, and then actually, of course, uh, availability of securities to, to match and to settle the, the transactions being the main focus. And that will have a big impact because nowadays, you know, there is a best effort approach used when it comes to most of these settlements. The regulation is going to tighten that up in terms of timeframes for settlement. And especially when it comes to fault for failure, it's going to try and pinpoint those that are at fault and, and try and make sure that it's not a consistent behavior and, and hopefully is not as a result of bad performance or willful negligence, I guess. And, you know, then looking at uh, improving on processes that allow to minimize failure and um, the penalties, of course, are the punitive measure that follow from that if you would be continuing to fail in that case. Yeah, and I guess you guys kind of sit in quite a unique position where you've obviously got buy-side clients, you've Indeed. also got sell-side clients. So are you expecting to provide some additional guidance? I mean, you mentioned the word communication, and I, for one, sure. communication will need to increase uh, increase significantly. Of course. Um, so are you expecting similar guidance to be offered to both sides, or one maybe more than the other? It's something we're looking at quite deeply at the moment and actually investigating where we can help, I suppose, in that manner. And some of it that we start to look at is, you know, existing reporting of trade statuses, of transaction reporting to say, what do we maybe adjust? What do we apply with a slight difference to look at CSDR scope items? But we also figured that there may be even some additional reporting or data sets available, again, specifically to the penalties and buy-in scenarios that, of course, don't exist today because they, they, the simple processes are not being followed in the same way. So we see probably both parts to see where do we adjust, where do we continue communication, where do we have to build something new, perhaps, that will allow for better visibility and, and readiness. And then once these penalty scenarios and buy-ins do come in, we also have to be procedurally ready for that. So we have a lot of communication ongoing at the moment to talk within the industry, to talk with the CSDs and understand what, again, we will receive from them in terms of messaging, in terms of flows and designs. And then as we take that forward, reaching out to our clients to get them ready at the moment, but also to say, what are they expecting? What are they looking at building themselves? And how do we need to connect in that sense to give the best service so that we're all ready, hopefully together? Yeah. And on that preparedness, I mean, the way you're answering the questions and the way you're elaborating, it's very, very clear you guys are prepared and you're getting ready for what may come. But from a market consensus perspective, are the levels of preparedness where they should be today? There are many different varying levels of readiness, as, as I'm sure you have a sense of. It depends sometimes who we're talking to. And, and we talk to certain clients that feel like they're going to have a very large impact. So they're already building their internal working groups. They're putting their budgets in place. They're thinking about what kind of operational design or even headcount they need to have to support all of these various needs. We've then also been talking to other clients who say, well, we feel that our fail impact will be minimal. We feel like we may be in positions of like long-term viewer investment and long trading. And if there will be any impact, it'll be probably be further down the chain when it comes to the intermediaries and counterparties that they're dealing with. Maybe the brokers or dealers beyond uh, in the transaction chain. So in that sense, I suppose there's no one answer. There are different levels of readiness. I hope our view is to see how do we 
you know, get a sense of that? How do we help where possible? How do we build our own readiness knowing that we're going to have to support different kinds of clients and, and different needs and, and volumes of maybe transactions as a result? Yeah. yeah. And I guess what you mentioned about like some of the timeframes being compressed and small, mm-hmm. things need to be done much more quickly. I mean, automation is something that's extremely close to our hearts here at DTC. So sure. pretty much all of our ITP platforms and solutions are geared towards automation. Mm-hmm. So what role will automation play for a custodian? And then should other sectors be embracing automation as much as possible from a post-trade perspective? Absolutely. So as I understand the legislation, they've looked at current fail rates for the EU primary markets where these transactions should be settling and seen that it's roughly 97 to 97.5% success rate at the moment. I understand the legislation would like to bring that above 99%. So as you can imagine, you're not going to be able to just give headcount to put towards that. So the investment and approach to budget for automation is going to be key in this sense. And indeed, we look at it ourselves in terms of our processes for certain technological or procedural adjustments or improvements that will allow for more straight through processing, of course. Uh, We also talk to our clients in the same way to hope that they're going to do similar kinds of investments. Um, And then we look at tools that are out there, whether something that we have ourselves as a reference in terms of data and reporting, and then I'm sure tools that are in the market. And you know, we look at acceptance manager options and, and similar tools to say where can we ensure the best levels of matching of instructions so that the settlement should flow hopefully naturally and successfully as a result. Yeah. And it's, it's probably a strange thing to say, but just by the increasing the settlement rate from let's call it 97.5% mm-hmm. to 99% plus. Yep. That's no easy fee, is it? It sounds small, but Absolutely. that's not when easy. When you consider the millions, I would say, of trades that would happen, there's still mm. a big, big impact there. And it's going to involve you know, improvement and development at all levels of the intermediary chain, I would yeah. say. Not just, you can't rely on a custodian only or a provider only or yourself, I'm sure, no matter what your position is, to say that you can do something and then everything is fine. Or you can also, unfortunately, not say that somebody else will take care of it all and your position is just to wait for the, the instruction or so on that everything will be perfect so that's where it is so largely impactful and, and global in impact that we, we hope that everyone is going to be preparing and it may be different levels of preparedness and readiness needed but at least to have the visibility to ask yourself the question of where is it going to impact and, and hopefully apply readiness as a result yeah yeah so just throwing bodies at the problem probably isn't gonna uh, help this issue at all well you can take the optimistic view perhaps and say you could perhaps throw bodies at it initially and hope that the, the failure rate could go down in the early months. The expectation, though, I would say, is that CSGR is going to be here. It's going to have impact over years and years and, and maybe even adjusted potentially with the next version over time. And it's going to try and tighten up those expected success rates even further. To do that, you would expect you can't just continue to give headcount and, and naturally budget towards that. So, again, the automation and, and usage of tools, uh, whether that's internal or external, is going to be key, I believe, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's something we've been saying to all of our clients uh, globally, whether they're buy-side, sell-side, custody, outsourcing, is prevention. Absolutely. If you prevent all of your trades from failing then you literally have nothing to worry about when it comes to the discipline regime. So something we've been talking about to our clients is, you know, using uh, automated solutions that are out there. Obviously, we have a large suite mm-hmm. of products and services that yep. we, we totally stand by. And we know that once those tools are used in the correct way, um, then, you know, we can help mitigate settlement risk, which is basically what the discipline regime is hoping to achieve. Indeed. So.
So with regards to automation, so you've mentioned that you what you, you look to work with certain vendors and partners and internal platforms. I mean, what role of automation should our clients, your clients, my clients, what should they be looking for? Should it be looking at a no-touch workflow? Should it be looking at using central utilities for SSIs? Should it be automating the confirm process? Or is it all of the above plus <laughs> plus many more? The easy answer is all of the above indeed. And, and it probably can touch all different aspects of the process. So if you look at communication chains, either internally or externally, that's an, I would say an easy one, but one that maybe isn't always thought about. As, a, as you say then, procedurally, you can look at confirmation flows, you can look at matching and instructions uh, flows to see where improvement can be applied there. And you would like to think that there's always area for improvement. Yeah. So um, again, that may be internal effort, it may be with some external support. Beyond that, then, there's also the view of, let's say, data reporting and analytics. So for preventative measures, you can say, can you get a sense of trends of current activity that before the regulation goes live, you can already address and, and perhaps adjust or improve on, whether for your own performance or with you know, your counterparties, brokers, dealers, etc., and to try and improve on the, the best practices there. Um, and then I'm sure there will still, unfortunately, be penalties and buy-ins yeah. happening, no matter what the, the best effort will be. You can use, I'm sure, some of the reactive measures there to say, can we analyze again that? Can we improve on it as a result? So I would say it's a whole combination. We'll use the next year approximately to try and uh, develop as much in advance as we can, uh, improve on our processes and, and help our clients improve on theirs as well. Um, improve on where the use of tools can be considered further or even built in if not already in place whether that's dxm or similar kind of tools whether look at allegements for certain matching of uh, instructions and so on um there's many opportunities we believe there absolutely yeah yeah the areas for improvement piece is something yeah, we've picked up upon as well uh, we recently introduced a scorecard for our clients not mm -hmm. to create a league table and say who's great and who's not great but just for more gap analysis of their own uh, processes internally where they can plug those gaps and the idea of the scorecard is to try and make well try to make people as CSDR proof as they can be of obviously course. there's no such thing as this CSDR tool concept where you buy something from the shelf and then Absolutely. you never fade a transaction and you completely conform to the regulation but I guess with every regulation there's always going to be unintended consequences mm -hmm. and with regards to the discipline regime I know it's raised um, a, a good level of awareness as to you know what is the real impact of this so from an unintended consequence perspective what would you be reminding your clients of or at least giving them advice on it's a very interesting topic because we've noticed certain things ourselves as we've been doing firstly our own analysis of data and, and review of processes and then we've also heard from different perspectives from clients from industry views and so on a big one is a very simple question, it's, it sounds like, but could be having huge impact of what's this going to do for liquidity? And is mm -hmm. it going to you know, mean that people will choose to be maybe less open in, in how they have liquidity available and, and be limited in certain scenarios? And do you mean this from, from a buy-in perspective or like maybe a stock lending perspective? It can be both. I mean, probably the buy-in at the moment is the one that can have the most impact of liquidity. Essentially the buy-in becoming mandatory is going to make people think twice or even a third time about how they want to wait perhaps for a security to settle which they may have been doing or are yeah. doing currently and 
with the buy-in scenario now happening after a trade failing for four days, you can imagine a situation where if that's a double penalty from the cash penalties and the buy-in, yeah. it'll force people to react sooner and perhaps open up liquidity that they were not planning to, but also limit it as a result in other areas. So that's a that's a pretty big one. You've touched on sec lending and, and stock loans. There's a potential opportunity there, I would say, which maybe is still being played out to say, if you have loans that can be either recalled or actually loaned out again to allow for potential settlement and, and par- maybe partial settlement in this case, that might improve on liquidity. But I suppose the caveat there is it may you know, involve you assessing how you're involved in certain sec lending programs. Do you engage in certain bilateral or tri-party engagements? And would that allow for more potential opportunity to settle then in those yeah. uh, situations? So that's a big one in terms of liquidity. There are also kind of operational questions in terms of scope and impact, which maybe we hadn't thought about initially when the regulation came out. And we start to realize more recently, uh, a good one that we've noticed ourselves is the impact on potential areas like ETFs and to say, will EP, ETFs have huge a huge market? Uh, well. Exactly. It's a yeah. huge market and potentially could have huge impact. And as we looked at the data from historical trade fails from 2019, as an example, we found that we could have clients that could have very large impact from ETF. Uh, not settling on time. And if you look through the ETF flow and, and how the baskets of ETFs are built, as I understand that they're basically designed to be built and traded and settled on T plus one, if you could theoretically incur penalties already on T plus two, it means there's very little room for yeah. maneuver there. And you will almost automatically have certain trades and ETF baskets as a result failing and having immediate penalties and potential buy-ins very quickly as a result. I'm not certain that the legislation thought of that or accounted for it. So we're starting to assess that and and also talk in industry forums and with our clients to see if they understand it the same way and potentially need to adjust as a result. So another example of maybe an unintended consequence that hadn't necessarily been accounted for but starts to get played out now as as we prepare. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you you need to have pieces of interest. And I've heard you speak about this before, not many others. So for those mm-hmm. that do, do tell the time to listen to this, maybe look at your books of work, look at your trading strategies, portfolios, mm-hmm. if ETFs are in there, obviously let, let's get some analysis done sooner rather than later. Indeed. And I know, I know the real piece that's, um, that's probably got the most, I wouldn't say the most interest from the market, but the mandatory buy-ins. Absolutely. I mean, again, that, that could have a significant impact. Obviously, the buy side don't really initiate the buying today as such as the law of the text. Sure. The brokers like to avoid them because they're very administrative heavy. Absolutely. Do you think, obviously you're going to be providing uh, lots of information to your clients with regards to the penalties mm-hmm. that you're going to be receiving from CF, uh, CSDs sure. and then passing back or may not be passing back depending on the outcome. Do you feel that your clients will want you to provide a view on when something should be bought in? Because as, as I understand, the text asks for the trading parties uh, need to initiate the buy-in. Indeed. But do you think there's going to be um, appetite from clients to ask their custodians, you know, when should I buy a particular stock in? When's it going to foul? When's it going to settle? I think there's an opportunity there indeed. If, if you look at the data, the analytics, and let's imagine that you had a trade expecting to settle next week. We've still got a few days before that to come. Maybe with reporting, maybe with certain data points, you can give a kind of indicator, you know, when you're three days before a potential buy-in that it's yeah. still green. Maybe when it's two days before it turns amber, when it's one day before it turns red, something like that to yeah. say, you know, this is something you can get ahead of. This is something where either you can try and look to settle it sooner, or you can try and do a partial settlement to minimize the impact. 
Um, you can look at other alternatives and, and hopefully, again, avoid that buy-in scenario happening. So I think there's, as I say, probably a data view. And then you also look at you know your liquidity position to say, can you try and free up some of that mm-hmm. to maybe let's say either avoid the buy-in or if you expect that unfortunately you have to go through it you know that it's going to settle as soon as possible and then not be subject to further impact or maybe price changes or so on yeah, yeah and that's a great view so having having that real-time view of your trades sure. in their full life cycle and whereabouts they are in the settlement status life cycle as well indeed i agree it's going to be paramount and before i thank you for your time because i know i've taken up a lot of your time and you're a busy man if there was a couple of points or messages or advice that you would want to give to to the post-trade world, please let them know. I suppose I've touched on a few already. I'll just reiterate. One is the global impact. And, and as we've done historical analysis, the focus of the regulation is on the EU and, and trade settled in EU locations. Because that does include Clearstream and Euroclear as international CSDs, there can actually be scenarios where you can have a non-EU security that could be traded by non-EU parties between each other. And because it's being settled in a European CSD, it's still counted as being in scope. In examples that I've looked at, I've seen US treasuries, I've seen uh, bonds and uh, mutual funds from Latin America. I've seen various different ones that are non-EU focused and still counted as being in impact and, and can be of large impact as a result. So that's one interesting area that we want to make sure that there's a big focus on knowing it's globally of impact. While we do have 12 months to be ready, we think it's going to need a big Im- uh, effort over that 12 months because of the impact. Uh, the the analogy that I've used sometimes is it feels a little bit like Y2K, that the worst case scenario could be all the computers shut down. We hope not, but we think there's going to be a lot of effort to reach that point where it's February 1st of 2021, everything is ready to go. And in the best case scenario, there's no impact and we just keep on rolling and there's life as uh, usual. But there still will need to be a lot of work to get to that point. And, and I think that's where Y2K analogy is interesting because a lot of people had to get you know, ready and in a good position so that nothing would happen as a result. So I'd like to think that's the best case scenario, but it does involve all of us being ready ahead of time. And then, you know, doing your own analysis to see your own view, because some will feel like it's not going to be heavily impactful, maybe because of your position, your strategy, maybe because of your expected volumes. But it is better to review that now and to get ahead of it and say, this is what it'll start to look like, and then decide, do we look at our own investment, our own readiness? Do we get some support from external, whether your provider is a custodian, whether your organizations like DTC and others, to say that there are tools out there, there are options, there are data that we can gather. There's lots of possibilities, we think, at this point, 12 months out, but you don't want to wait six months and then find that you have to rush exactly. as a result. Yeah. No, completely agree. Derek, I mean, thank you so much for your time. So I think the key points we can take away are, I think, prevention is key. Absolutely. You know, prevent the trades failing. Automation is absolutely necessary. Communication between all parties. Sure. And then also, when things do go wrong, as they will go wrong, then we need to have tools to allow us to spot these exceptions yes. as soon as possible to get those trades to their full settled state. ASAP. Indeed. Derek, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to catching up with you again at some point. Uh, So I hope for those listening, you enjoy the podcast. This was myself, Matt Johnson from DTCC and Derek Coyle, Vice President from Brown Brothers Harriman Custody. Thank you.